This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Think for all those people that are on the cusp of trying to decide if they should make that scary decision or go after that big thing that feels a little bit uncomfortable, comes with a chance of failing, that every decision costs you something. Whether you stay where you're at, it costs you, or whether you take that leap of faith, it costs you. And so I try to impart on them that the cost of stagnating and staying stuck where you are always is a bigger burden than the cost that comes with putting yourself out there and taking that leap of faith. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Live Boldly podcast with Sarah Shelton Kranz. This is an inspiring podcast for those seeking proven ways of healing, growing, and transcending their lives. I am a legendary leader in healing, acclaimed author, keynote, and TEDx speaker, a mom, an adventurer, and a believer in all things possible. My mission is to guide others to live their life boldly, regardless of circumstances. I believe we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Recorded from the trail or in my office, every other week I share inspiring stories from everyday people because we all deserve to be heard. You will also hear from hand-picked professionals ready to guide you beside me. Are you ready? Let's do this. I went into it like with my intention, not only was healing, was just get an idea of what to do moving forward. If I should leave my career of 24 years and transition into something else. This is a good one too. (laughs) Every one of yours, they're all so good. So I went into it with this idea that was planted in my head by, by a therapist I was seeing of becoming a coach for other partners. And I went into it also with some fear around that, that self-worth thing, right? Because there are other coaches on the retreat and I'm like, well, what, what do I think I am that I can become a coach? And I have these like really big deal coaches. What are they going to think of me? And they're going to think, why would she think she can be a coach? <laughs> this whole self-talk thing is going on in my but, head. That damn tape in our head. So I put it out there and instead of the story I was telling myself, I got so much support so many affirmations. I was getting mentoring in the canyon and it was just incredible and so supportive. And um, it felt uplifting. And and then while I was taking out of the canyon, I was just kind of hiking by myself, processing, thinking, and bringing in God, my, my grandmothers who had passed long ago, but I could feel their presence with me. I just felt so much love surrounding me and so much support and telling me this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to climb out of the canyon and I'm launching a coaching business. And I also had like such clarity and I I was being told not only are you going to be okay, you're going to be more than okay. 
Yeah. And so I came home, I shared that with my husband here who's just shaking his head yes in support, like yes, 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 this is what you were called to do. And I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Live Boldly Podcast with Sarah Shelton Kranz. Today I have on two special guests. My brother, Marty Munster Schulting and Michelle Mace Curon, incredibly impressive humans, fighter pilots in the US Air Force. Grab your journals. You are going to want to climb every mountain, soar every sea, and blast through every barrier after you listen to this podcast episode. It's a little longer, it's just over an hour, completely worth your time. Starting again, choosing a life you love, not caring at all what other people think because you just know that you are in line with your values and true north in life. We talked resilience, leadership, I mean, so many topics. So I would really love for you to share this with others as we continue to ripple this podcast into the world. Before I tell you a little bit more about them, I want to remind you that we are have our very last Grand Canyon retreat coming up January 17th through the 21st. If you are interested, please message me. Right now we are giving this particular last retreat 25% off. Sarah at sarahsholtonkranz.com or go to my website, send me an email or just sign up in your Calendly link and let's set a one-on-one call with yourself and let's see if it is the right fit for you. These include three months of coaching along with the intensive, this incredibly life-changing experience uh, through the Grand Canyon. I cannot wait to guide you. Spots are filling and I'm sad it's our last one. It's going to be definitely one to remember as a celebration and also transformation at its best. So if you've been watching from the outside wanting to do this, definitely listen to this podcast and then you're going to want to jump in. Let me put it to you that way. So let's talk about these two. My brother, we were born and raised in a very small town. If anybody doesn't know that, 1100 people. Uh, And I really wanted to dive in with him about what gave him the courage and strength and bravery to step into his dreams as becoming and becoming a fighter pilot. My brother went to the U.S. Air Force Academy and uh, he's just a really great guy who is completely true north. And I love him as not only a brother, but as a really deep, uh, just a great friend. Our relationship is one that I know is sacred, and it's also very different than many others in terms of the fact that we tell it like it is, see each other for who we are, and we value one another, trust one another. And uh, so I was really excited that he just, he agreed to be on this with myself and um, Michelle. So my brother flew F-15s along with many other planes that I can't even tell you offhand, but he will share with you in this podcast episode. There's just so many, I don't even know. Um, But really, I just wanted to dive in with him, like I said, about what gave him the courage and bravery to step out of the norm and choosing something from his heart. Now, Michelle, Michelle Curon has led an impressive career as a fighter pilot during her 13 years in the United States Air Force. From 2019 to the 2021, she flew as the only female pilot for the Air Force Thunderbirds and performed for millions across the country and internationally. Michelle was also named the Distinguished Alumni of the Year by the University of St. Thomas in 2021. My brother also went to the University of St. Thomas, which is why I also was excited to get these two together. Though Michelle graduated much later than my brother. (laughs) She has been featured on several well-known media platforms, including The Kelly Clarkson Show, CBS Evening News, and Glamour. 
Before joining the Thunderbirds, Michelle was a combat-proven fighter pilot, completing missions across Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. We did talk about this in this episode. She has a passion for pushing her limits. Really, can't even imagine. Inspiring others and changing lives. This is truth. As the lead solo for the Thunderbirds, Michelle realized the flying was cool, but the best part was inspiring others to overcome their fears and pursue their dreams. Since transitioning out of the military, she has founded her company, Upside Down Dreams, and is committed to empowering men and women of all ages to overcome obstacles and the fear of failure. She has inspired thousands through her passion for breaking barriers and setting the example of what can be accomplished through hard work and through, you know, just handwork, like really hard, hard work. Um, Can you tell why I like her so much? Like, she's my kind of woman. When Michelle isn't speaking, she volunteers as part of the Veterans Outdoor Advocacy Group, spending time with her stepson and husband rock climbing and pursues her mountaineering goals. I mean, then there's that. Michelle and her family enjoy their home city of Las Vegas as a hub to adventure from. So I don't even know what else to say. Like, I think I've said enough. Like she is hands-on, my brother is hands-on. They both are incredibly inspiring, empowering humans. I wanted to do this episode because we are getting both the female and the male uh, perspective, which I find to be awesome and really inspiring for both males and females, men and women, uh, boys and girls to listen to. So this episode is not only for you, the listener. This episode is for those people who are in your life. Share it with the younger generation. Share it with your kids, your family members. It will help. Uh, and educate everyone in how to step out of our comfort zone and truly welcome in the things that are most important in our life. Please share this in your social media, tag me, tag Michelle. Um, My brother's not really on social media, so you can try and tag him if you can find him. Um, But I would love to reshare this in my social media and Michelle would as well, I am sure. And uh, if there's anything that we can do for you over in this space, Living Boldly with Sarah Shelton Kranz, please know that you are welcomed at all times. I love hearing from you, guiding you, and having you a part of this beautiful community. Grab your journals, enjoy this, and let me know what you think. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Live Boldly podcast. So we're going to introduce a little bit about the both of you, and then we're going to dive into a lot of great topics. Uh, It's super cool to have the both of you Midwesterners on this podcast with me. Yeah, happy to be here. Cool, cool. Michelle, I want to start with you. Sorry, Marty. Uh, I want to start with you. I found you on LinkedIn and then I started to dive into the work that you're doing today. And then I found out that you were a Midwest girl at heart, went to St. Thomas. And I realized that you two, you and my brother, though you do not have personal connections, do not know one another, you have both had a little bit of the same path. So I want to start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. Yeah, for sure. So I think we actually have a bunch in common. I'm from a small town in northern Wisconsin and then went off to college at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul. So I'm also a Tommy, which is a pretty small school, but a surprising number of fighter pilots have come from it, including uh, one of the current Thunderbird pilots. There were two of us in a row. So that was uh, pretty cool. But yeah, I was a criminal justice major on an ROTC scholarship and planned on going to the FBI. But then this is going to pain me. I saw two F-15s take off <laughs> in full afterburner. And that was kind of a pivotal moment that made me decide I wanted to pursue a pilot slot and 
went off to fly F-16s from there and eventually flew for the Thunderbirds. Okay. And then you are the, tell us a little bit about the Thunderbirds experience because people need to know where you are at with the Thunderbirds. Yep. So I spent three years on the team. I was a solo pilot. Uh, Second and third year, I was the lead solo. And my time with the Thunderbirds wrapped up at the end of last year. So I flew my last flight last December, 2021. And then I left active duty early 2022. And I'm now an entrepreneur, keynote speaking. I have a kid's book coming out, um, do some consulting. Uh, Yeah, just kind of using my stories and all the lessons learned to help empower and inspire other people. I love that. Awesome. As a fellow Midwesterner female doing things that are not like what other people would typically do. That's what I love about your story. All right, Marty, talk about you a little bit about your story. My bro, he's a year older than me. I would say like you're kind of, uh, you've been my backbone in many areas. So thank you for that. Yes, of course. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your story. Well, I'm a little bit older than Michelle. So I graduated on St. Thomas in 94. I also grew up in a small town in Southern Wisconsin, a town of 1,100 people. And then went to, I, I decided when I was 12 years old that I wanted to fly airplanes. And more specifically, I decided I wanted to fly the F-15. I was one of those little kids putting together little models of airplanes. And my favorite one was the F-15. And so went to St. Thomas, graduated, did all the flight school stuff, was awarded the F-15, flew that for five years. Uh, in Okinawa, Japan, uh, Michelle, I know you were over, I think, in Japan for a while as well, another common uh, lace here. And then uh, Langley Air Force Base. And then from there, I went on to fly the stealth bomber, the the big one that looks like a boomerang. I flew that for four years. Got off active duty in 2006, flew tankers in North Carolina. Then we decided we wanted to move back home. We moved to Minnesota. And I flew the uh, C-130 there for, well, until just recently. I just retired June 1st of 2022. So uh, just five months ago, I retired after 28 years um, in the military. I now fly for a company in the Minneapolis area, corporate pilot. We have Gulfstream airplanes. We just bought a, they just bought a Gulfstream 600, which is an amazing airplane. Um, and that's kind of what I do right now. Okay. So I want to dive into this whole flying thing and what got you guys into it, the both of you. But more so than anything, I want to start with having grown up in a small town in the Midwest. And it's a little different than having the opportunities from the big city or having people mentor you in the way that typically you can find in the big city. What was it like for you coming from the small town feel and having people question perhaps, what are you doing? Where do you want to do? What are you going to do? How can you do that along the way? Did you have any barriers or people that questioned you and what was like that like for you? Michelle, let's start with you. So I, you know, moved out of my small town when I went to St. Thomas and I didn't go back as often as my parents wished I did. Um, So they actually dealt with that more than I did at at first. So they were super proud. So they would tell people what I was up to. And I remember my dad telling me a story where someone, um, he told them I was flying F-16s and they straight up said, you must have the wrong airplane because women aren't allowed to fly fighter jets. And this was in 2010. I mean, women have been flying fighter jets since 1993. So 
you know, sometimes people in small towns are slightly behind the times on keeping up oh. with current current events. So uh, he dealt with that, or both my parents more than than I did. And for a long time, I didn't even think about it being a big deal until it was highlighted to me a few times. Once in pilot training by someone in my class who we were kind of neck and neck for the second spot in those that were eligible to fly fighters. And we knew that there weren't going to be a lot available. So it was a big deal where your class ranking fell because that ended up being the deciding factor of what you went on to fly. And it turns out we only did have two fighter aircraft available. And I ended up getting that second spot. And he was the one right below the cutoff line. And he went to fly C-17s, which is still a super cool airplane, but a lot of us, you know, have our hearts set on fighter aircraft. So that can be pretty devastating at the time. So he had some very candid things to say about him that he shouldn't even be trying on his check rides because it wouldn't matter anyway, because they were going to give me a fighter aircraft for diversity reasons. So that was the first time it was very thrown in my face. Um, and it was right before the kind of pivotal check ride that was going to determine our class ranking. It was the last one. And I found it very motivating, actually, that he said that. And it was kind of a just like, okay, watch me. And I crushed that check ride, um, which I normally don't. I'm fairly humble, so I normally wouldn't say something like that, but I crushed it. And that was what solidified my second spot in the class, which ultimately led to me going to fly the F-16. So that was that was one that sticks out even now, 10 plus years later. Um, and then when I got to my first squadron, I think a lot of the pressure I put on myself because I was one of two women flying in a squadron of almost 50 pilots. And as I'm sure Marty can attest, it's a difficult career field when you're new. There's just so much to learn. It can be very overwhelming. And I think a lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome and mm. feeling like they're in over their heads. And I felt like that was amplified for me because I was under a microscope and there were definitely people not necessarily waiting for me to fail, but that were just watching me very closely with curiosity to see how I would do. And I did feel the responsibility that my failures would reflect on women fighter pilots in general. And that I was kind of responsible for setting the reputation for any women that would follow in my footsteps. So there was kind of that extra pressure. So wow. I think that's a good spot to stop with the early part of my career. We can talk about it more in terms of the Thunderbirds, because that's a whole different experience. But early on, that was kind of how um, being a minority in the career field showed itself. Wow. Wow. Okay, Marty, let's dive in with you on this. Because I'm assuming that you had a little bit of that too. Well, I mean, I think it was a small town, a small town thing. But you know, I was pretty naive growing up, and <laughs> still am actually to a certain extent. You know, and I just, I just when I was 12, just decided, and really, you know, like it was when I was when I was 12 years old. I remember our family took this trip to Hawaii, and it was we flew a Republic DC nine from Madison to Chicago. And I was just fascinated with flight at that point. And I just was like, wow, this is what I'm going to do. And from that point on, I just, I just looked at different paths to get there. And the military seemed like a cool path. And then I discovered the F-15. And I just, it was, to me, it was just a one-way road. And, <clears throat> you know, there's always, 
I'm, it was countless times people would say, oh, my, you know, my son tried to fly airplanes or my nephew or somebody and it doesn't work or you need to be really good at math or it's, it's amazing to me all, all the different hurdles that people put in front of themselves um, to divert themselves from what they really want to do in life. So I just was like, yeah, okay, so whatever, I'll figure it out, you know, and I just headed down the path, really a little bit oblivious to all the negativity around me. Um, <clears throat> just plowed forward. And that's kind of the way I've always, I've always been as well as I just kind of find the next step and like the next place I want to be and figure out how to go that direction and just somehow make it happen. But you're right. I mean, there is, there is a lot of, it, it's almost as if there's like a bunch of little minions or whatever, trying to hold you back. Um, and you just, you just gotta move forward and just keep going. And, you know, and I, this is this speaking from a, a white male, right, in, in a white male industry, really, is, is what that is. Um, so I can only imagine, Michelle, what you had to deal with on your, on, your, on your path, on your way through. I think it's funny that you said you were naive, because I definitely felt that way, too, even with, with me being clearly a minority in the fighter community. I did not think about that until other people highlighted it to me. And then it became kind of a big factor, not that I focused on my gender, but that I did feel like other people were just judging me. Like they were just waiting to see if I was going to succeed or fail. And so there was a lot of pressure there. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I felt that when I was 42, going in and getting my wilderness first responder training as a female, and I was the oldest. I was the only mom. I, I was a woman in a field of what has potentially, I mean, it's mostly been men, right? And so, and then starting to lead retreats in the Grand Canyon. And I had people questioning me, why are you doing this? What's the reasoning behind it? And was, I've had people actually say the same thing to me. You're a little bit naive on some of those things. So I'm like, is it really naive or is it that... I just have learned to pursue what is my heart's calling, you know, and I don't know, maybe sometimes it is a little bit of naivety because you're, you're because of where we grew up and, and you don't realize you don't see the obstacles all the time and that's okay. So are you naive or are you focused? Is I think the question. That's right? a really good question. I would say I'm focused. I'll take yeah. that. Okay. I'll take that. What about you, Michelle? Yeah. I mean, I, I think ultimately if it doesn't matter if you're naive or not, the outcome is the same. Like if that's the, what gives you the mindset to just forge ahead, like go for it. I, I think I've gotten to a spot now. Uh, I just heard someone, I wish I could say who it was or remember who it was so I could cite them accurately, but where you get to a spot where you learn how to channel your focus and you learn how to really define what you want and look at it from an objective standpoint where like, okay, what is the easiest step I can take to gain progress towards that objective? And then you go do it. And then you just wake up tomorrow and you do it again, whatever the next thing is. And then you do it again. And all of a sudden you're in the spot where you feel like you can almost create your own reality because whatever you decide you want, you realize you can make go happen. And that doesn't mean that there's not going to be obstacles or things that trip you up along the way. It's just when that happens, you don't get discouraged. You don't get emotional about it. You're like, okay, that happened. That wasn't ideal. This is still my goal. 
maybe the next closest step has changed, but there's still something that I can do to keep moving forward towards that objective. And it's just such a cool mentality to be in because it's like the world's your oyster all of a sudden. Well, you're a huge adventurer too, right? I mean, I, am, yeah. I, 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 I've, I've, I've scoped you out a little bit and you're a huge adventurer. So have you used that then? Have you, have you found that the metaphor of adventuring? I mean, we are too. Our whole family is, we're big adventurers. I didn't realize how big our family was in terms of adventuring until I was thinking about it. I'm like, every year we sat down and as a family, we went on a road trip. It was just like, okay, where are we going to go next year? Where are we going to go next year? And I was telling my dad, I said, he was here last week. And I said, remember when you, Marty, maybe you remember this. We went to Florida and we ended up, it was super cold. It was down in the Keys. And dad and mom had gotten us tickets to go uh, snorkeling. And it was just, it was like frigid down there that time of year. And they pulled us up into the car and they said, too bad. We're still going to go jump off the side of the boat. Do you remember that? And we went snorkeling oh, yeah. and saw sharks. <clears throat> and I was, I was like, dad, like you just kind of like kept pushing us right into doing these things, regardless of the elements and regardless of the adversity. And he's like, well, yeah. And we had tickets. So why wouldn't we go do that? And now you remember, and what a great memory. And I'm like, I do remember that. I also remember, I remember being on the boat. You had pushed me over. I started snorkeling, got so involved in the snorkeling and like the beauty of underneath the ocean that I popped my head up and I couldn't see the boat. And I was like, oh my God, the boat took off without me because I had just kind of gotten lost in the beauty of it. And he said, oh, I remember that. I remember you all of a sudden screaming and being like, where's the boat? Where are you guys? And so I think that, that the metaphor of adventuring also goes into the metaphor of life. And have you also found that the both of you within the work that you do? Yeah, I think uh, there's something that a few people have coined as like the adventure mindset. And that just means that you're just curious and open to new challenges and seeking out new things. And you are able to push past the stuff that feels uncomfortable because you haven't done it before. It's the unknown and just forge ahead into it. Yeah. It's funny. Like, um, so the department I'm in right now, like I have this itch to move on and, and I, I, verbalize it often with the guys that I fly with. And they think I'm absolutely crazy for wanting to move on. And I just, I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm done here. I've been here for almost 11 years, 10 and a half years. And, you know, the, the pay is good. The work is good. The company treats us well, but I, I feel like it's, I feel like it's time to go. And so I'm actually in the process of preparing for whatever that next step is. And people are like, dude, you're 50 years old. What are you thinking? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, and my wife and I discussed this often about the fact that we live lives that a lot of people think are crazy or weird. And she said, and that's a good thing. That means we're doing it right. You know, and, and I tell the guys that I work with, what you got to remember is at the end of this, you die. Like at the end of this, we're done. Right. So who cares? Who cares if I, you know, if I want to step outside the reins of what everybody thinks is normal. Well, I mean, that's what I've been doing my entire life. And I feel like I've had a, a pretty good life. It's, it's been, a, it's been a good run. So, um, so I agree. Yeah. Stepping outside of your comfort zone and, and knowing that it's going to be pain, there's going to be painful parts, you know, it's just like everything else in life. It's the pain that knows that, that shows you you're making progress. Can you tell that we're siblings? 
<laughs> That's why I talk about that all the time. I'm like, at the end, like we're gonna, you're you're not taking anything with you and you're done. So, you know, why not live it while we're here? <laughs> it's hilarious. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I want to dive into the most uncomfortable thing that you have had happen to you, both uh within flying and also within life and how have, how has your stepping out of your comfort zone and and allowing these new things to happen i mean i got plenty in my life how has it actually helped you to grow as a human uh mine are kind of intertwined the career side and the personal life side so when i was stationed in japan i was up in misawa which is way up north not a tropical island like Okinawa. They get 200 <laughs> inches of snow per year. So it's the the opposite. But that was my first combat squadron. And I mentioned it a little bit, but I, I really struggled when I got there. It was the first time where me just working hard didn't allow me to kind of smoothly sail along. And I really felt in over my head and like I actually was not good enough to do this job I had worked for for so long. And that kind of threw me for a loop because I had always been the straight A student, the honor club, the full scholarship through RTC to college, the Dean's list. Like I, I worked really hard to achieve those things, but I, I was an achiever, I guess. So my identity was wrapped up in that. And so when I got to Misawa and now in hindsight, I realized that I was doing fine and the flying stuff and the career side from everyone else's perspective, I was learning and making mistakes just like every new fighter pilot does but from my perspective I was like epically failing every day because I was struggling with the new concepts and the tactics and the g-forces and so it's not one specific event but it's kind of that whole assignment where I just did not think I belong there and that's you know amplified when you're one of two women but I would say it more fell on me feeling like an imposter in my own insecurities than it did on how people treated me in the squadron. And during that time, um, about two thirds of the way through that assignment, I got divorced from my high school sweetheart who I, we had been married for six years. And so trying to deal with living in Japan where you have no family, all of your friends are your coworkers. You don't, you all live on base. So all of my neighbors are also my squadron mates, you know, other pilots in my squadron so it's happening in a fishbowl where every single person is someone you work with. They all know you and they all know your spouse. So there's no privacy, no separation there. It's also happening where you don't have any family support and you just can't get away from the work stresses, which the operations tempo is high. The work stresses are high and it's all just intermingled together. So that whole period was, was really rough and it took me PCSing, moving to my next base in Fort Worth, Texas, to really be able to have some perspective on that and get to a spot where I was like, I am not happy with who I am as a person. Or I think I was fine as the pilot, but from my perspective, I wasn't happy with that either. And that is where I kind of started to explore really pushing myself to go do all those things that I always wanted to do, but that were also uncomfortable and scary that's when I got into mountaineering. That's when I got into climbing. Mm. I took a solo trip to Nepal. I just started diving into all these things. And I was like, I don't really care what the cliche fighter pilot is supposed to do and what they're supposed to say and how they're supposed to act. And I don't really care what my peers think of me. 
I'm just going to go do these things that really fulfill me. And it turns out I made amazing friends in the squadron because I was actually being authentic and they could feel that. And so I connected with all of these other people who had unconventional backgrounds and hobbies. And I'm still friends with many of them. And I became an instructor pilot. I got to deploy. But over about two years, I think I just completely transformed. And it was just that decision coming from Masawa and all of this uncomfortableness and failure. And just, I I would say at, after my divorce, I was probably actually depressed, but I didn't go label it with anything or go get help from anyone. But that next assignment, just deciding like, kind of just being like, screw it. I don't care what people think. I'm just going to go after all these things I want to do. And it was life-changing. That's Well, mountaineering is is definitely therapy right there. Absolutely. Holy hell. I know that from personal experience. That's awesome. All right, Mart, you're up. All right. You know, my, the hardest part of my career is, uh, very similar to yours, Michelle. Um, so my wife was a graduate student at Duke university when I was flying, I was out of my off active duty and we were living in North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina. My wife was going to Duke and we were also having children. Uh, and so we ended up having three boys and she finished her graduate work and it was time to move home. And we, you know, I had always said that I wasn't going to move my kids from one school to another while on active duty. And so our oldest at the time was going to be starting elementary school or kindergarten. And so we moved, we wanted to move home and we decided Minneapolis is where that would be. The challenge with that was she had finished her graduate work, but she still had a postdoc to do. She still had a ton of stuff to do. She had three basically verbal full-time job offers down in the Raleigh area. We had basically one job. It was me as a reservist in North Carolina. And we just picked up and left. We just, I mean, it was insane looking back on it to think about what we did. And we, I mean, it almost bankrupt us to move to Minneapolis. We found a a rental home. We had a six-month-old, a two-year-old, and a four-year-old. You know, we moved to Minneapolis in December, and then it snowed like three feet. I mean, it was it was kind of a crazy time. And the only job we had was my part-time reserve job down in North Carolina. So I had to commute down there. And I think that people who get who deserve way more credit than they get for military life are the spouses. Mm-hmm. You know, like tirelessly. You know, she was dealing with my deployments, dealing with me having to leave all the time just to work, three little babies, and then, and she's still trying to work her own profession at the same time. And that was, that was close. I mean, that was, we, we were inches from divorce as well. I mean, it was, it was an insane time. Somebody was always pooping their pants or nobody was sleeping and, Oh my God, it was absolutely insane. I honestly look back and I don't know how we made it through there. And I, I have to publicly thank Amy right now <laughs> on this for sticking with me through that because I don't know, man, I don't know how she did it, but, and now here we are today. Um, she's got two thriving businesses. You know, I've got an amazing job and, and somehow we pulled through that thing and came out on top. And it was kind of like Michelle, you talk about it's just one step at a time, you know, the path you need to take, and you just head down that path and every day you get up and you do the next step and you do the next step and you do the next step. It took us years, years 
to get through all that. And, um, and I feel like we're in a good space now. Um, so I haven't started mountaineering, but maybe I should try it. I don't know. I offered. You did. I I did. I offered. I was on the Sierra high route this year, Michelle. Like there's, have you done the Sierra high route? No, but I saw your photos and I'm like, that looks amazing. It's amazing. It is. It's, it's, it's very dangerous, but you don't feel endangered. It's completely pushing you outside of your comfort zone in every way. And it is the coolest freaking thing to just be able to like be in the middle of the nowhere, looking up at the stars and, you know, seeing bizarre things happen up there, by the way, like I'm starting to think there's other stuff going on. Marty and I have discussed this because I've, I'm like, what the hell is that thing? That's like focusing on us with this bright light. And then all of a sudden turning to the left, you know, we've had some weird things happen up there, but uh, I offered, I told you come with us anytime. Well, and, and really it's, it's those types of things. So we're big mountain skiers. So we're big, just skiers. We love yes. the winter. And, uh, last year, so my boys now are 12, 14, no, 13, 15 and 17. Last year we took five mountain ski trips, um, two to big sky and then three out to Colorado. And every time we get in those mountains, it's just, it's, it makes you feel insignificant, right? It's just an amazing experience being out in nature in those ways. And I'm in nature differently than what you guys do with mountaineering and things, but it's those experiences that really solidify my need to move on because I'm in a job. I'm under the thumb, right? I mean, I fly for an amazing company that's doing amazing work, but I'm in a job and you get limited vacation, you get limited time off. And I'm trying to juggle everything trips with the family and trying to prioritize my children, you know, because, they're only around for so long. And, uh, and I don't have enough time to do the things that I want to do. And guess what? The clock's ticking and you don't know where you're at on that clock. You know, I know I'm in the second half. I just, I hope it's the third quarter and not the fourth. And, um, and it's that type of stuff that really makes me feel like, gosh, it's time to go. It's time to move on and to start living, um, to figure out how to make that next phase of life of life work. So, yeah, so it's mountaineering. It's those types of things that are really pushing me to this next phase. Yeah. yeah I totally get that. I mean, that's why I left active duty and became an entrepreneur. People are like, why would you step away from flying the F-16? And kind of like you said, I had all these amazing opportunities on the Thunderbirds. I got to do all these cool things. Flying the jet is incredible, but I felt like it was time to go and that I was being kind of pulled to go do something where I could really impact people's lives. Like I got to do when I was wearing the uniform, the blue uniform specifically that I knew I wouldn't get to keep doing once I went back to a combat squadron. And I just love doing that. And so I was, how do I create the path where I get to do that and I can make a good living and have the flexibility. And so I'm six months into doing that. So by no means the expert, but I have no regrets on making that choice. So yeah, I was going to ask you why you ended up quitting because that was an amazing career path. And, and I, I think it says a lot about you as well, that you're like, basically at like the peak, you're like a Thunderbird pilot and you're like, I'm out. <laughs> I think that's, that's amazing. You're like, that's awesome. Time to go, you know? Uh, and yeah, I mean, I had similar experiences. I ended up spending 28 years, but I got off active duty and then stuck to the reserves. But I think, so I, I and and I I also like Sarah went was going through and looking at your LinkedIn and I very quickly understood what you were what you were thinking and it's it, you know from from my perspective in the military as well it really just becomes a job like to me people were like 
how awesome is it to fly airplanes? I'm like, remember when you were a kid and you were so excited about learning how to drive a car and then you got your license and then very quickly thereafter, you're like, I'm just driving a car. I mean, I honestly feel very similar ways about airplanes. Like, oh, this is cool, but, well, it's, it's an airplane, you know? Yeah. So. Yep, for sure. Even with the Thunderbirds, I mean, the flying is incredible and it was very stressful and very exciting. But there were plenty of days where I had to go fly, where I did not want to go fly. And it's really hard for people to understand that, especially aviation enthusiasts who were like, I'll cut off my right arm to get just a ride in the back seat. And I'm right. like, that's how I felt too when I was in college and when I was in pilot training and I was trying to get a fighter aircraft. That's how I felt. It was like I wanted it more than anything ever. And I had those exciting moments, but it definitely does become a job. I mean, I did it for 13 years and I'm like, also my back hurts. G forces, they're a they wear on you. <laughs> yep, they do. Yeah. Okay. So Let's talk about imposter syndrome. Can we? Because how the heck do you keep if you're if you keep moving into that next phase and moving into the next phase and moving to because I I'm the same way. Marty and Amy and I were, well, I don't know if you were there. Amy and I were talking about this this summer up at your up at the lake, Marty, where we were like, you know, you get to that place and you want more and you want more and you want more. You just want, it's not that you want more. It's that you want to have a different experience, right? And to impact differently. And so there's always that next step, right? So how do you keep doing that without having the imposter syndrome step in of how are you going to, like, who do you think you are, right? Like I've had that, I've had many of those moments where who do you think you are that you can go do this? Um, And then also, because you're divorced. I didn't realize that you actually went through a divorce too. And obviously I have, you're remarried though. Am I right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not. Uh, so, so how do you though, keep moving into that next step if it's relationships or if it is, you're now keynote speaking or, you know, Marty, you wanting to move on into this new area of your life. How do you keep doing that and still do it without having that imposter syndrome creep in? Yeah, I think it's some of it's just perspective that you have to gain and have to remind yourself of. And it's funny because I actually speak about this fairly frequently where people look at me as the Thunderbird pilot and they're like, oh, she must have always had it all figured out, knowing exactly what to do. And so I actually share that time in my early career when if I didn't have a contract with the Air Force, I would have left. I was... I was like, I'm not good enough to be here. My imposter syndrome had gotten me to the point where if some outside factor wasn't keeping me there, by choice, I would have walked away from this dream career that I'd worked so hard to get to. Um, And now stepping into speaking, people are like, do you have imposter syndrome? Because I got in front of some fairly big audiences really quickly. And I definitely felt the pressure there. But I remind myself that everyone experiences that. I think that's one of the big things to realize you're not unique in those doubts. And that one of the lines I say to people over and over is that the key to progress is having the courage to start something when you're not ready, but just believing in yourself enough to know you'll figure it out as you go. Like that, that's the key. There's no, no one, even no matter how successful they are, if they're Bill Gates or whoever they are, 
they still had doubts and they did not have all the answers when they started pursuing the thing that made them successful. So I think it's just being able to take a step back and get out of your head and see things from an outsider's perspective and be like, okay, I know I feel this anxiety because I feel not prepared because I'm new to this thing, but it's normal because I'm new to this thing and I'm learning. Right, right, right. What do you think, Mart? Well, I think I, I actually wrote it down. I, I love the idea or what you said that everybody has it. Mm-hmm. Not everybody will admit it, though. I think real people will admit it. And like when you were at your squadron talking about like just being real with your people and, and you know, being sincere about what was going on. Uh, I did the same thing when I left the fighters to move on to bombers. That was a, that was a big deal. Um, nobody left fighters, especially to go fly bombers. I mean, fighter pilots pick on every other type of airplane that exists, right? The only airplane that exists is not only fighters, but your specific fighter, you know, the Viper people pick on the Eagle guys and the Eagle guys pick on the Viper people. We all pick, everybody picks on everybody except the A-10 pilots. They're the one true badass pilot, right? Nobody has any authority to pick on them. So, but like, you know, knowing that everybody is struggling and really quite frankly, it doesn't matter what you're doing in life, you know, like, so I flew fighters, bombers, tankers, and cargo. And I found in every single one of those squadrons and every, everywhere that I ever flew, there was a great, great group of people uh, that I worked with and everybody struggled with different things, you know, and every community had its own, its own things that they were struggling with. Um, you know, and you know, like in the, in fighters, it was G forces and just the single seat mentality and everything you're trying to process, you know, in bombers, it was targeting and managing these basically Commodore 64 computers that somehow are making this stealth beast fly. And there was always, always certain things that you had to deal with. And even outside of that, like I watch my wife, I watch Sarah, I watch, you know, everybody struggling with different things they struggle with. So there's always struggles and it's just a matter of plugging through them and getting and getting through them and figuring it out and not, and really just not giving up, you know? Um, and I just feel like so many people give up. It's like, it's like, uh, I think Michelle, you said, or maybe I imagined it as I was thinking about this podcast before we did it. It's like so many people have said, Oh, I wanted to do that, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and at some point I just stopped. I just, I want to tell you, man, like, yep. You know, here's another 50 year old man who wanted to do this. And I, I don't tell him, well, you could have, yeah. didn't you try, you know? So I don't know. What's the, what's the thing that you and Amy always say? If you, if you, if you, if you really wanted to, you would or something like we that. Have- do you remember? we have a magnet on our fridge that says that yes you really wanted to you would (laughs) I wrote it down in my notes in my phone because I was like that is such a great line do you really want it or do you not yeah you know one of the things you touched on as well is you get to these phases in your life and then you move on you know like Michelle you with you and fighters like 
you're at the peak and you're like, I'm out. And, you know, like my Amy, my wife, she finishes her PhD. I mean, seven years of work. She's a clinical psychologist. She does her, she diagnoses her first kid and she comes home and she's like, I'm bored. <laughs> and, and like, and I go, baby, we've been talking about this for years. I think flying fighters got boring. What did you expect? You know, like, come on, of course, of course you're going to get bored. And that's, I think, where some people have the next challenge. So then she built a business and now she's growing your business and she built another business. And, and there's always that next step. Like, what's the next thing that, that you want to do or the, what's the next challenge in life? And I think this is where people sometimes get into things like mountaineering or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, it's the, it's the next challenge, I think, in life that drives a lot of us, it drives me. I don't know. It's, yep. That's amazing. <laughs> she got bored. <laughs> okay. So what is the, if you could tell your younger self something, anything at all, what would you tell your younger self? I love this question. Cause I do this. I do this question. Then we're going to have a follow-up as well. What would you tell your younger self? Uh, so I, I've written a post about this. So I had a little bit of time to think about it, but it I can never answer it with one thing, but I would definitely, I guess it would depend what phase of my life I was going back to, to uh, give advice to. But what we just talked about that all those doubts and fears that you have, everyone is experiencing them because I definitely felt very alone and isolated in them. And now I realize that that was definitely not accurate. Now that I talk about this openly, people come out of the woodwork being like, and it's it's people you don't expect. It's CEOs, it's other fighter pilots. And they're just like, oh my gosh, I relate to that so much. And so I would go back and give myself assurance that I was not alone in all those doubts. What about you, Marty? He's sitting there thinking about this one. <laughs> oh, I, I am. I don't, I don't know what I would tell my younger self. I, I um, probably, you know, probably the, the same thing. I, you know, I feel like some of the changes I made in my life were a little bit delayed. And I sometimes feel like I, I would have made those changes quicker, you know? Um, so, you know, even with this next phase of my life that I'm working on right now, I feel like it should have been done a couple of years ago, but it didn't. So I am friends with somebody in, in Minneapolis who, uh, he's a high, higher level exec. And he, he said, he gave me a quote. He said, if it's inevitable, it's immediate. And he carries that forward with all the decisions he makes in his life. And and I think that is, that's a really good quote. If you know something's going to happen, do it, do it right away. Just do it and make it happen, you know? Um, so that, that might, you know, maybe that would be the, the thing. I really haven't really thought much. I haven't written a post on this. So <laughs> maybe, I, maybe, you maybe should. I, should journal. I should journal about this. What would I tell? That's a really good question. It's a good one. And that's why I did the podcast with dad, because I wanted to have something that could be put out into the world that our own kids can listen to someday and get some good advice from, you know? So, you know, 
So probably my biggest struggle in life, uh, like looking back, one of my regrets is, is not staging my life appropriately to better care for my wife and children growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we, we were in a situation where I had to work and I had to travel and, you know, if I could go back probably and change my career path to a path that would allow me to be home more during these last couple decades, uh, you know, so my oldest is 17 and he's heading off to college next year and poof, it's gone. It's over. Right. And I've spent a significant portion of that on the road. I mean, I'm on a seven day trip right now. I'm, I'm in London, you know, uh, and my, my wife and kids are at home. So, you know, it's difficult when you're, when you're young and you're in your, your late teens or your twenties and you want to fly airplanes and you want to live this amazing, what you feel like is an amazing life, but you don't think about when you're going to be 40 or 50 and, you know, and, and now my back hurts and my neck hurts from those fighter pilot days. And, and here I am sitting in a hotel, which sounds all fun and everything, but at the end of the day, no matter where I am, I always just want to be home. So I would probably put more thought and energy into staging my life so I could spend more of it at my house. Mm. Mm. I feel you there, bro. I love that if it's inevitable, it's immediate. Because that's actually one of the things that I was just talking with one of my mentors about was the fact that I do have some times in my life where I wish I would have done things more quickly you know, like even getting out of my marriage or making some very big decisions. And I couldn't now, you know, he's sitting there telling me, look, you were at that, the best that you could do at the time. I get it. I fully understand that. I just really also wish that I would have found a little bit more of a uh, ability to make some very big choices and decisions a lot more early on than what I did. And I think we also have to remember that there's timing, you know, things sometimes just happen at not our time, but other people's and other universe time. And so we have to give ourselves a little bit of compassion in that. Right. Yeah. You know? Okay. So this leads into the next question. What, when you sit with your future self, oof, I love this question. <laughs> I'm like pulling them out of you, aren't I? When you sit with your future self, what would you like to talk to her about or him about in terms of, and I do, this is why this comes up because I always sit with, now I think I'm going to just say, you know, Marty, I'm going to die at 108. So you better be sticking around until 109. Uh, We can like, you know, leave together. Uh, So I always sit with what would my, what does my 108 year old self feel about how I am operating in the world right now today? That's how I always sit with, right? So like if I'm in moments of, I've got big decisions, big choices, even me stepping into speaking, um, which is something that, I mean, I landed on a TED Talk stage and I still don't know how the hell I got there. I didn't search a TED Talk, that TED Talk found me. And so I mean, I remember stepping onto that stage and going, okay, what the hell? There's like thousands of people out there that I'm speaking to. And I didn't ask for this, but here I am. So, okay. So I sat with what is my 108-year-old self thinking about the message that I'm delivering on stage today? And if this is your stage every day, 
that's what I always sit with, right? And so now speaking to my 108-year-old self, I always sit with, okay, what is she thinking right now about where I'm at right now? Or what? how can I draw on her? Or what conversation do I want to have with her? Where am I going to listen from her? So what conversation would you have with your future self, whatever age that is? This is a lot harder. I haven't written about this one, but I now I this will. This is your next post. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I need some inspiration uh, in that department. I like this question though. And I try to, when I'm trying to decide something, I often ask myself like one year from now or six months from now, will I regret one of these decisions either way? And I feel like that sheds a lot of light on what to do mm. uh, just a year later. So Looking back at a lifetime, um, actually what Marty talked about and what he would say to himself. So I'm 35. So we have a little bit of age gap, not 108, but <laughs> I'm so one of the things right now I am doing very well speaking. I'm busy. Business is coming in, but I don't want to be on the road to give 70 or 80 keynotes a year. Like one of the reasons I left active duty military was to have more time to be able to shape the life with my family that I want to do my hobbies and spend time with them and really focus on the things that give me fulfillment. So I think reflecting back on a lifetime of that is a reminder for me to make sure I keep that as my focus, even though the money being out there on a stage in person can be very good and very, I guess it's very alluring to get in front of these big audiences with big names at you know, and get paid a lot, but to remember why I made this decision in the first place and to try to keep that as a guiding light that shapes my decisions so that when I'm a hundred years old, I have this great relationship with my family and all these memories of going snorkeling in the Florida Keys when it's 30 degrees outside. (laughs) And those are the things that are going to be fulfilling at the end, not Remember that one time I spoke for 2000 people at that convention. So I, I guess that's kind of a vague answer, but I think that is the thing I would remind myself of and, and check in on. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. What about you? At Mark? the end of the day, it's about, it's about relationships and it's about people. And that's really the only thing that matters. Um, a good friend of mine, he, when he talks about things, he says, everything is trash. Everything, everything in life is trash. And it's true. Your shiny new car someday is someday going to be trash. And it doesn't matter. Nothing really matters except the relationships that you carry forward with your people, you know? And like, like I want to be 108 looking back on obviously, you know, I'm hoping there'll be grandchildren in there at some point, but you know, like I want to look back on like, did my did my wife and children enjoy spending time with me? And did I get to get to spend enough time with them? And did we get to do the things we wanted to do? And you know, or or do you get caught up in this American grind that we all get caught up in and doing more and working more and making more for what? You know, like that's the big question. What are you doing all this stuff for? And um you know, and I, I really enjoy flying airplanes. It's fun. You know, I do not like being on the road. And one of my coworkers said, gosh, if it wasn't for all the travel, this aviation thing would be an amazing gig, you know, and 
it's just, it's unfortunate. You know? So, uh, so I would say, yeah, I would say, did I, you know, when I look back on myself today and say, did I prioritize what's important in life over, did I prioritize what's important, you know? And so for different people, it's probably different things, you know, for me, it's my relationships. So, um, at the end of the day, that's what's most important. So I'm trying, I'm working on it. I'm taking those little steps every day. Maybe I need to speed it up. Maybe I need to use my own quote and take action on it. <laughs> I won't quit tomorrow though. I won't quit today in airline home. I'll finish this trip first. Do you like, I have a question for you. Did the both of you think that some of this comes from our upbringing from small towns or from living in the Midwest or, because I feel the same way. I mean, that's always something that I check in on too, is my really, I mean, you know this Marty, like our relationships and our, our family is super, super close. I mean, regardless of our differences, we're very, very tight. Do you think that some of that comes from the upbringing of where we were born and raised or through like, what do you think it is? Cause not everybody has this, by the way, this is not, this is not something that everybody, this way of being and thinking and operating in the world is not something that everybody has. So where did you, you think it's, that? Do, you, do you think COVID has changed it a bit? I think people have had the opportunity. People were forced into yeah. spending more home for quite some time. And now you see this huge, like go, go try to buy a boat somewhere. Nobody like their boats are sold out. Everything is sold out. All the toys and the th- different things to be outside. You know, people don't want to go back to the office. You know, I don't know, is it going to swing back to people wanting to go back in the office? Did COVID give a reality check to the world or is it temporary? Probably temporary. But I think it's, you know, if we'll listen, I think it's a reality check. So maybe it was a Midwest thing. Maybe maybe, maybe it's a human thing and people just don't get exposed to it in other parts of, you know, depending where you live. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but. Yeah, I yeah. feel like I've met people from all over that fall into kind of both sides of that, where they're really material oriented at the expense of relationships or the opposite, where they could care less about that stuff and their whole life revolves around their families. Then every choice is based on the best thing for those relationships. So I think a lot of it is your upbringing, which I feel like our upbringings were fairly similar. Yeah. Um, but I think you see it all over the world, just all the different people I've worked with from different parts of the country. There's definitely some on each side, but I think COVID and the pandemic, a blessing in disguise for a lot of people because it gave them this opportunity. It was a catalyst for so many people to be like, wow, I've not been happy in this rat race. Now I'm being forced or given the opportunity to evaluate that and maybe make some decisions where I can refocus on what really matters. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just, I found looking back, especially, and I'm going to ask you one last question. I have found looking back how much, and I really appreciate the simplicity of growing up in a small town because it's taught me and reminded me along the way, because I've done, I mean, Marty knows, like I've had the big house and the, and you know, the rat racing of the, of the life, but in, in reality, it's the moments that matter and the relationships and the simplicity. And I always come back to that. I try to, at least I have my times too. Uh, 
so I want to ask you what moment in your life, what is the one moment where you can sit with? Do you have this one moment? I know I do. Do you have a moment in your life that you can continuously go back to that is like a flash, right? Where you're like, I remember this moment and this changed me. And it could be when you're flying. It could be the moment, like Marty, I remember you sent in the family chat that picture going over the Northern Lights. And I was like, whoa, that was really cool. And so do you have a moment if it's in the plane or if it's in this journey or, you know, following your dreams or as a child or anything like that, that is like a catalyst that you can hold on to or that you remember. That's like that magic moment. I'll share mine at the end too. Oh, I'm going to need a minute to think of it. I have many. I have many. <laughs> I might have to one of my uncle, You can uncle. get more than one. You can get more than one. Get more than one. I don't care. <laughs> I'll go with one of them. It was um, the first one that, that popped in my mind was the first mountain ski trip I took the kids out on. Uh, Amy and I took the kids out on. And the kids were tiny little people. And the freedom they got on that mountain. So... We went to Copper Mountain out in Colorado, and the whole family went partway up because we were little, little people when we went out there. And man, they loved going through the trees. And just my Amy and I were skiing down the hill, and the kids would pop out into the trees, you know, and you could kind of see glimpses of them in this or scooting through and then popping back out. It was just an amazing freedom I felt um, and joy to see the everybody the whole family just having a ball you know and i'm like this is what it's all about and 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 actually you know how you know your your iphone or whatever sends you pictures from the past and stuff and one of the one of the family pictures from that trip just recently popped up mm. and every time i see that picture it just makes me happy so there's my first one i'll see if i can come up with another one while you i love that talk. i love that all right michelle uh, so, I mean, just kind of along the themes that we've been, I'm sure there are so many it's, I always think it's interesting, like those snapshots that stick with you and like why that those few minutes feel like you could watch them in your head, like a movie versus all the random stuff that I try to remember and forget five seconds later, but you know, years later, you can still see exactly you can smell things and yeah, it's just interesting, but talking about being outside and the power of that and the freedom that comes with that. My first mountaineering trip was on Mount Baker And that was like the first time doing an alpine start and covering a glacier with crevasses and being roped up and going for a summit. And I was super nervous about the fitness required um, just for that, even though that's fairly short compared to many. And I just remember the the sun coming up and, you know, the, the sky starting to glow as the sun came up, just the really dark blue still. And then it's starting to get better and better in the view and the sunrise is just getting better each minute. And it was kind of cold and windy, but I felt like no matter how cold it was, I could just keep going. And like the endurance didn't matter. I could just keep going. And I was just firing on all cylinders and it felt easy. And, you know, watching the sun come up with the sky changing colors and then the, the shadow you get when you're climbing on a volcano, the cone that you see at sunrise, if you're on the right side um, just being incredible. And I've seen it several times since. And every time I'm just shocked at how beautiful it is, but that first one, just feeling so solid that day and being like, Oh, I had nothing to worry about. I could just 
do this forever and just feeling very fulfilled, very free and very lucky to be witnessing something like that. That's awesome. Oh, you've got, you've got two ex fighter pilots on the call and you're like, tell me about the most amazing time in your life. And I'll bet people are expecting us to say, Oh my God, it was that time I did that unrestricted climb. <laughs> 400 knots at the end of the runway and skyrocketed to 15,000 feet and all that kind of stuff, right? Nope. That's not what comes up. You know, I was actually going to bring that up. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if they're going to bring up anything when they were flying. And nope, that wasn't it. So mine was, yeah. it's funny, you, it's funny. You, I noticed that exact same thing. Mine was when I was 10 years old. I was about 10. And Marty, I don't know if you know this or not, but mom and dad let us just like walk around town at any time. No big deal. I mean, we didn't, safety wasn't an issue. And I was standing at the bottom of our four-way, we lived up on the top of a hill and it was at the bottom of the hill, the four-way stop and the street light, street lamp was on, you know, which one I'm talking about. Cause there's only one and it was snowing <laughs> <laughs> and it was snowing. And I remember looking up into the snowflakes, watching the snowflakes fall from the sky and literally like watching, like putting my vision, paying attention to just one snowflake and watching it start way up where it's in the darkness. And then it's like slowly coming down through the light. And I was watching it fall to the earth. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what other people in the world are doing right now, because I feel like I'm the only person here. And for some reason, my mind went to California and now here I am living in California. And I remember thinking, I wonder what people in Africa are doing. And I wonder what, like, it was just this like on wonder that I was having in the moment. And I actually talk about that. Um, that's one of the pieces that I'm putting into my speaking engagement, because it's those moments that carry us through into the next moment and into the next moment and into the next moment, following our dreams and how we want to live our life. So I always find it to be interesting having this conversation with people about like, what's the moment for you? And did you have that? Yeah. I, when people ask about that specifically, they usually ask me in the airplane. So then I'm kind of already put in a category of, well, like what was your best flight in the airplane ever? And I'm like, I mean, do you talk about the Super Bowl flyover? Do you talk about the first time I employed weapons in Afghanistan? Do you talk about your first flight? Like, but I like that you just asked it with no restrictions. No restrictions. We don't have restrictions here. Did you guys both fly over? You flew over the Super Bowl too, right, Marty? I did in a tanker. Well, still, <laughs> but you did. <laughs> I refueled. I refueled the. Who was it? I don't remember what airplane it was. I don't remember if it was Vipers or F-15s. I don't remember. I was in a tanker sipping on coffee. It was great. <laughs> All Did right. Did you go over with someone on the boom or information? No, we, re we refueled them so that they could do their flyover. And I don't know why that was necessary. Now that I think back on this, why was that necessary? Maybe it was just our excuse to be a part of it. You know what I mean? Like the tanker guys and the cargo guys, we just want to be a part of the game, man. You got to let us in. Did you so maybe go? that was our reason. Did you get to go, to, go the to the game afterwards, after the flyover? No, no, we uh, had to go home. <laughs> no, we didn't. That's the best part. I, I have been ground support for, so the B2 would do 
flyovers for all sorts of sporting events and NASCAR races. And the Kansas City Speedway is right there in Kansas City. And the B2 is just 45 minutes east. So we would drive. I would be the. I always wanted to be the ground support. I never wanted to fly the airplane because if you're ground support, you're there, and then you get to watch the race, and you know you get to meet the drivers, and you get to do all that cool stuff. And so one time, my brother Greg and his wife Jackie came down to the Kansas City Speedway, and um, and I was like, "Come on, let's go see what we can go do." So we ended up in like the the Budweiser booth, and they you know we had all this free beer and and all this free food and everything. And we're in this little booth wearing headsets, listening to the drivers. What's funny about that is that was not a good experience. I mean, those are a thousand dollars seats up there. Right. And it is so much better being down in the heat and the mess and the sweaty people. It's so much of a better experience being down there in the, you know, hundred dollars seats as opposed to the thousand dollars seats up with the fancy people. So the experience is so much better. But anyway, so so I would do ground support for things in the B two, but I never I've never actually done a flyover like an actual cool guy flyover in anything. So I always chose a different route with that. Ground support's where it's at. I mean, I think we were motivated to do the flyover just so we could land and get to the venue as soon as possible to be there for the second half of whatever it was. Right. The second half, yep. Okay, so one last question before we go, because um, you actually triggered this, and I'm sure everybody else wants to know too. I've heard all the stories, but (laughs) well, many stories. I don't know if I've heard all the stories. What has been your most memorable flight? Well, I there are some memorable Thunderbird ones, but I will say probably shooting rockets in Afghanistan danger close to friendly troops was the most memorable. I only did that once. And it was the first time that it was my second time dropping in combat. The first time wasn't near any people. The second time was. And so that's a big mentality shift uh, for you. And my wingman was at the tanker. So I was by myself and it was at night as everyone advertises it will be, but I thought they were full of crap, but nope, that's exactly how it happened. So that is definitely burned into my mind for sure. Wow. Wow. Okay. You Marty. This will probably be unexpected, but, um, not a fighter story or a bomber story, you know? So I spent 28 years in the military and never once shot at anybody or dropped any ordnance on anybody in my entire career. Now, only 11 of those years were actually flying tactical airplanes that could shoot at people and drop things, and the rest of it was support airplanes. But the most memorable flight, so back when Afghanistan was heavy, and I don't remember the year anymore, but I was flying tankers, so it was sometime between 06 and 09. We would go and we would we would fly out to... Uh, Germany and Bitburg, Bitburg, somewhere out in Germany. And then we would fly the airplane. It's a tanker. They would retrofit the airplane to be an emergency evacuation airplane, basically me- medical evacuation. We'd fly it empty to Bagram, Afghanistan, and we'd land at midnight. And then they would fill the plane with troops who'd been injured between midnight and three in the morning. And then we'd leave at three in the morning and fly these people back to Germany where they can get better medical attention and what would happen is these these guys would get 
injured out in the field and they get stabilized well enough to be able to fly. And then we fly them back to Germany. And they, um, man, I saw some beat up people. I saw one guy get on the plane. His head was all wrapped up. He was attached to everything. I mean, there's doctors caring for these people. And, you know, so it's kind of an, it's, it was the most memorable because it really helped. It really helped me to, it's the first time I'd really seen kind of firsthand what goes on in war. You know, you see videos and pictures and all this kind of stuff, but to actually be carting these people around that were in dire need of, of help um, was the most memorable time, you know, experience that I had. Um, and so it, uh, it's unfortunate that that's the most memorable experience, but that that's the one. Yeah. Well, it also shapes you. You know, that's humanity. That's definitely humanity. So wrapping this up, uh, is there anything that you would like to tell the listeners, leaving them with any bit of advice or thoughts or uh, guiding them? Maybe they actually are wanting to pursue their dream or maybe they are stuck, feeling stuck or have imposter syndrome or are in a relationship they want to get out of, but don't know how or whatever it is. Is there anything that you would like to leave with our listeners? I think we hit a lot of the key, the key areas for a lot. (laughs) We actually have hit a lot. Yeah. uh, (laughs) But I think for all those people that are on the cusp of trying to decide if they should make that scary decision or go after that big thing that feels a little bit uncomfortable comes the chance of failing that every decision costs you something whether you stay where you're at it costs you or whether you take that leap of faith it costs you and so i try to impart on them that the cost of stagnating and staying stuck where you are always is a bigger burden than the cost that comes with putting yourself out there and taking that leap of faith Amen, sister. Yes. I love it. I love that. I love it. Yep. You know, I would say to people, get comfortable with the pain. Um, mm. Meaning, what I mean by that is, use a gym analogy. You know, I know I worked out well when I'm sore the next day, and I'm even more sore the next day. But it's a good pain, right? I mean, that means I'm making progress. Um, so... There's a separate kind of pain that's different, but if you're making the, taking the right steps, getting uncomfortable uh, is kind of key. It means you're making progress. So you just got to get comfortable with it. And I tried years and years ago, I, 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 I tried to refocus, like rethink about what the pain means. Like I tried to actually enjoy the pain, you know, like when you're dieting, right, you get hungry have to think of that as a positive thing like i'm hungry but that's good because i'm i'm trying to do something here right and and so so when you're making progress you're gonna fall you're gonna it's gonna hurt and that's fine it means you're moving forward just get comfortable with it and as soon as you can get comfortable with it you'll be amazed at how quickly you can accomplish things yeah there's beauty in the resistance when we can actually take a moment and a pause and see that and experience it. Right. I love it. I love it. 
You two are amazing. Thank you for being here. I knew this was going to be amazing. Like I was like, dude, I got to get the both of them on at the same time. This is going to be, I've never done a podcast where there's three of us. Well, technically four because Marty's calling in and you can see him. (laughs) So (laughs) I've never done this before like this. And it's amazing. It's awesome. And so I'm glad that we could also meet one another in this way. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Where can we find you? Besides in the sky. Well, Marty in the sky. Are you flying much? You're not flying, right, Michelle? I am sitting back in coach on a very regular basis. That's about where you can find me in the sky right now. (laughs) Where can we find you though on social media? Uh, Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so I'm very easy to find. Um, I put a ton of content out on LinkedIn, which is just Michelle and then in quotes, my call sign Mace Curran. And then on Instagram, Mace underscore Curran. And then my website, MaceCurran.com. Try to be consistent with my branding. But I am, or you can Google me and apparently someone made a Wikipedia page, which is weird, but it's there. (laughs) No kidding. How do you get a Wikipedia page made of you? I think anyone can create a page on what you could make yourself one, but I don't know who built it, but it is there. (laughs) That's really cool. I don't Google myself anymore. (laughs) There's a reason for that. (laughs) I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) I'll just keep, I'll let everybody else Google me. (laughs) Where can people find you, Marty? I don't want to be found. I know. That's actually, (laughs) I I tried finding you you on Instagram. I couldn't even find you. (laughs) I guess you could find me on Facebook. You'll find me in my cabin up in Northern Minnesota. Well, you'll find me in the summer, maybe. Uh, right now you can find me in London. So, oh, I love it. You're on LinkedIn though. Come on. You're on LinkedIn. I don't know how much you play over there, but I should probably update all that stuff. I think I opened that account like 10 years ago or whenever the LinkedIn came out, I don't even know, but, uh, yeah, I should probably update all that stuff, but yeah. Well, will the both of you come on again at some point, perhaps? Yeah. We should do this again some point in Wisconsin and we should do this with some spotted cow sausage and cheese. Yeah. Sit outside snow with all this snow gear on around a bonfire or something. Right. I am down. I thought you were running in the, (laughs) have dad making a fish. I don't know. (laughs) I thought you were going to say at a cabin on a lake in the summer. And I was like, heck yeah. Now I'm not quite as enthused, but spotted cow, that could be the ticket. We could, we could change it to the summer. We could do it in the summer sometime, I suppose. I'll do that. Michelle, you're invited to my 50th birthday party. Perfect. (laughs) There will be spotted cow and there will be fun. (laughs) It's a recipe for a good time for sure. Oh God. Yes. All right. You too. Thank you for being here so much. And I I really appreciate it. I know this is going to help a lot of people and uh, you're both amazing humans. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. My friends, thank you for listening to the Live Boldly podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so grateful to have you here. I'd love to invite you over to sarahschultingkranz.com to receive five free meditations recorded by me or download your free guide on how nature is your perfect healing therapy. 
My site has many free resources to guide you on your life journey, many that I used myself while on my road from victim to survivor. And also, please, I ask that you share my podcast with those who may need inspiration, information, or who may need to hear from others going through where they are right now. To grow this podcast, please leave an iTunes review and subscribe. Go find it on other platforms such as Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please also go to my Instagram or Facebook page. Leave a message in my comments and tell me what you think of this episode. Please share in your stories and tag me. I'd love to reshare and celebrate your healing journey. I love hearing from each one of you. Let's keep the ripple going. It begins with each one of us. I love you. And as I always say, I believe in you, us, always. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.